Life and time. What do we do with them? What do we do with them? I've, I've appreciated the service thus far and, and just the thought of, of all we've been given. Um, a new year, a new, a new beginning in a sense. And as Eric shared, maybe a new house, a new baby. I'm not sure why you were looking at me when you said that, but that's just a blessing anyway. And appreciated that, that thought. I thought of life and time and the little guy we got at home and how, how fresh everything is and how innocent and how there's, there's so much he has to learn about life just from, from day one and on. There's, there's so much that he has ahead of him. We hope and trust that the Lord, that it'd be the Lord's will. Just the passing of time. And, and I guess you say that in the recent past, our life's been normal, but it's been a different kind of normal than I've been used to. And I encourage you to pray for me this morning. I, I feel like I haven't been able to have the adequate amount of time for preparation. And I'll share what the Lord, I believe, has, has given me, and I'm not going to pay much attention to the clock, so it might be early. But but the, the, the joy of life and new life and new life in Christ is kind of the thoughts that we would like to, to share. And the, the hymn I thought of, um, the second stanza, because he lives, how sweet to hold a newborn baby. Um, but greater still, the calm assurance this child can face on certain days because he lives. Because he lives. And, and that's true. It doesn't matter how many, how many dates, dash, dates there are. That truth, Jesus lives and Jesus saves. Those two truths are never taken, ever. Every, every date, dash, date that ever exists, ours might be a date, dash, with another date coming sometime. The truth of Christ that he saves and lives is paramount to all things. For our new baby, for you and I. And, and we can stand on that just as, as solid and firm as, as anything we'll ever have. I thought also with the New Year's and the New Year's resolutions that many people make and often fail. By February, people are done with that and looking forward to little candied hearts and chocolates and the next thing that's coming up and kind of done with that. But it was, it was neat while it lasted. And why? Why do they fail so often? A lot of times I think New Year's resolutions, there's, they're just so much self. I'm, I'm going to do this, and I'm, I'm going to see it through, and many times people do persevere through, and that's nothing wrong with that, dieting or lifestyle changes. But there's a greater power out there to change, to change and transform that we can tap into. And I guess the title of my thoughts this morning is The Pursuits of the Pruned and Purged. The Pursuits of the Pruned and Purged. And perhaps it's not really very appealing to make our resolution to be pruned and purged for the sake of God. We don't really like the pruning process or the, the lobbing off of something in our life, but we would sure like to be fruitful for Him. And oftentimes we, we can't be fruitful unless we're not first pruned and purged. Um, we know Jesus talked about that. I'll go ahead and read a little bit from, from those, those words. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's in John 15, the first few verses there. Um, talks about branches being taken away, purging that the fruitfulness would occur. And I'd like to mainly focus today on Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3 is the, the body of 
with what I believe the Lord has provided for us. And before I go there, I'd like to also share a verse from Romans 7, 23. Paul says, I delight in the law of, the God, of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind. And that's kind of the theme that's here in Colossians as well. There's two categories that are, that are shared here in Colossians. There's two categories. There's a position of privation, or you might say a position of default. Privation being the loss of a quality or attribute that should be present. And as God lives and as he gave his son, the, the life in Christ is what should be present with those who hear of him. It, should, it, is, it is designed to naturally be accepted and, and taken and grasped, that new life in Christ. And when it's not, we find here another category that people will fall into. And there's also a position of purpose. We want to, to focus on the position of purpose, but also read of the position of privation. And I'll begin with verse 5. We'll, we'll jump back and forth a little bit in Colossians 3, beginning with verse 5. We're challenged, it says, Mortify therefore your members were to upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and in which ye also walked in some time when ye lived in them. Now, this continue there. Once walked refers to past tense. It's possible that occasionally these things mark a Christian's life, that they do, but they're not a part of our, our walk or our manner of life. If we've been renewed in Christ, they're not a part of our identity, though they might mar us. Paul's challenging us to put those things in the past, set them in the past. And then he continues on. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And we'll discontinue there as well. These are the things that we need to prune and purge from our life and cut off. Examples of things that don't bear any fruit for us. They only bring the opposite of that. And there's, there's two categories, and the first one is are things that are blatantly obvious to us, and we have different ways of dealing with them. The first category, the fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, covetousness, evil concupiscence, these are things that are so blatantly obviously wrong that we will, we try, if, if they rear themselves in our life, we try to conceal them and hide them and cover them to deal with them of our own self. But the latter, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication and lies, with the exception of maybe blasphemy, we will try to maybe justify them. Well, I'm filled with malice toward this person, but you don't know how they've treated me. Or, yes, I'm filled with anger, but I've got a right to be. It's not always the case. But there's, there's one way of dealing with that, and that is through the cross of Christ and the renewal of a new life in him. He wants us to give them over to him. Our, our, our heart is like a house. And anything concealed, he wants us to open up and, and let him in to, to clean, to remove, to purge, and cut it away and burn it and be done with it. Our life is filled with moments where we face times like this. The first category deals with sins of the mind. They're notorious. The second category deals with sins of the tongue. Maybe not so obvious. James really hammers down on the second of those of those groups of, of wrongs and sins. 
But then the, the more desirous part that we can read of, after being pruned and purged, now the pursuits of the pruned and purged, we, we move forward to, to the position of purpose, not the position of privation. The position of purpose that we are called to live in was Christ for a purpose. We'll continue forward and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The new man, like changing a garment. We put off the old and put on the new. We become something totally different. Renewed in Christ. There's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. And I got to thinking about this. If, if we're running east, you're not, your body's not going to go west. If we pursue the things of Christ, the things of godliness, then our body won't go the other way. Now, there, there's moments of times of, of failings, but if our pursuit and our goal is on serving Christ through his power and through his strength, these things can become a part of our life. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And one thing that really stood out to me as I read through this, these aren't attributes of self. None of them are. It doesn't say be efficient. Um, seek after intelligence. Go lift weights and make yourself strong. These all have to do with our viewpoint of others. Vows of mercies, kindness, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. God is calling us to, to treat people differently. And these attributes are godly attributes. We obtain them through faith in Christ. We obtain them through requesting them of God to renew and change our life. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth liberally enough, braideth not. He provides these things toward us. Each moment of our lives is given to one category or the other. Not just a balancing act, but these two are different worlds. They're worlds apart. And as I was reading through this, and, and the thought of mortify therefore your members which are on the earth, I was studying last night, and I had last night was a little interrupted off and on too. We had sick children, so I, I struggled with that as well. But on the, the desk where I was studying, there was a, a thorn someone brought in, Gabe or Chaz probably from... Um, this time spent out, outside, and I was using that for a bookmarker because it worked perfect. I got to thinking about that. Mortify the, the deeds of the flesh. We need to take them to a place of death. And I thought, here I'm holding this thorn. It made me think of the crown of thorns, the place of death of Christ. That's a place for us to take these, these things of the, of the earth, of the body, to mortify them, to subdue them. It's the cross. Here I was holding this the whole time and it didn't really even register for a while. But the thorns, the nails of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, Calvary, that's the place where we gain victory over earthly things that can well up in us. Can't do it of ourselves. We, we can't do it of ourselves. But there's also the place where we find renewal. 
And Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ didn't stay on the cross. And I'd like to, to close out with some thoughts from the first part of this chapter as well. I know we're kind of jumping back and forth, but the first five, first four verses, I thought about death and our our approach to baptism where we, by trying to immersion forward, that we we die and then to self and we, we come out of the waters as new creatures in Christ, renewed in Christ, risen from the waters of baptism. It's a testimony of our faith walk with, with the Lord. And verse 1 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And I thought about seeking things that are above. So much in the world around us is focused, it kind of has a gravitational force down. And we as Christians live with the force up, going the opposite direction. And just as these other good deeds are reaching out with our current situation in life with technology and inward focus, our iPhones and iSelf that we just seem to get caught up in so much, reaching out in a world that is teaching and training to be selfish, reach out and think of others. It's, it's a different approach to life with Christ. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Just as example of our baptism, we, we hide our life in Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. If we are risen with Christ, if we are raised with him, act as Jesus did when he was resurrected. Tap into that life. After he was resurrected, he left the tomb. He didn't stay there. It wasn't his home. And it's not our home either. It's not a place for us to dwell. As I was studying through this, I came across the, uh, the story of a camera that was found in the catacombs under Paris. And apparently Paris, they ran out of room in cemeteries, so they dug down and made catacombs under the city for to deal with the dead. And there's miles of these tunnels where people were, were sealed up after they, their bodies were placed after they died. And some man got in there and was just, just touring it on his own accord, apparently, and was recording it, and it got lost. And eventually the camera was found, but the man was panicked and running to and fro trying to find his way out, and he finally eventually dropped the camera, and the last scene that was seen was his feet running away, and I didn't watch it, I didn't want to, but I read about that, the panic state that he was in, and it made me think of the man of the Gadarenes. Christ went across the Sea of Galilee to get to him. Didn't have to, but he did. It was, it was not God's people over there, but it was a purpose and a place for him to go to. And the man came running to him, and it says that he was he was naked, he was dirty, he cut himself, filthy language. He was they tried to bind him in fetters, but it said he plucked them asunder. He was he was filled with demonic spirits. I know if just yesterday I pulled some some logs and stuff out of a brush pile with a chain, and if you'd wrap me up with that chain, I couldn't pluck it asunder of my own strength. He had a strength that was was ungodly but very real and very strong. And yet the Lord went all the way across the Sea of Galilee for the purpose of meeting that one man and, and changing his life. And a very unlikely missionary came from that. Because we also find later in Scripture where Jesus goes through close to the same area. And we, I believe it's, I won't read it, but Mark 7, 31 through 36 and Matthew 15, 29 through 31. 
records that there are many from the region of Decapolis, which is where this man was from, who came and requested to be healed. Now, now where did they come from? Jesus didn't leave a disciple behind when he went there. He made a new one, and he did not permit that man to come back with him. He said, stay and tell people in your country what has happened. Scripture records that he did. He shared how he was clean. The people came from the city and saw him seated in his right mind, clothed. And that man made a choice then from that point forward. He didn't want to be naked and dirty anymore. He didn't want to live among the tombs, among dead people, lost, running around, frightened, and led by spirits. He wanted this new life that he had in Christ. And he was so excited about that that others caught on to that. And there were multitudes whose lives were changed from the most unlikely source of that one man. And and how how newness can change and spread it just just got to my heart as I studied. If we are risen with Christ after he rose, he left the tomb, we ought to leave the tomb as well of our own, own life, not just sit in there on the cold stone. He ministered to his disciples after he was risen again as well in the 40 days when he was on this earth. So ought we also to live our lives to be a witness and to serve others just as the good Samaritan did and just as Jesus did to the man of the Gadarenes. You know, when he was traveling across the Sea of Galilee, the scripture says that is where the waves were rough and he was in the hindermost part of the ship sleeping and they said, Master, care not that we perish. He said, Peace be still and it was calm. When he set out to go heal that man, it wasn't an easy road. We think, well, the, the lake was placid and calm. And if we, see, if we feel the Lord calling us to reach out to someone, we might think it'll be an easy road to get there. Maybe not. There might be some things we have to go through to get there, some storms we cross to get there. But God's purpose was that the life be changed. The Good Samaritan as well was an example of this. Christ also lived in the supernatural power and had the ability to do impossible things after his resurrection. And if we have that resurrection power within us, we have the power of the Holy Spirit as well. John 14, 12. I'd like to turn there and read that one verse. John 14, 12. So verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Greater works than what Christ has done. Greater works than the healing. The, the power of our salvation is greater than a, a physical healing on this earth. And we have that power through the Holy Spirit. Even all the, the wonderful things we read about of Jesus doing and changing lives and bringing back the dead, having a living life given in the place where there was death, of, of mortality of, of soul and spirit having that life is a greater work that we can experience ourselves and each child each baby each old person can can have that greater than anything he did on the earth is is the greatest thing was the salvation that we can have jesus looked forward to heaven as well as we we're also challenged to recognize that our citizenship is in heaven now i thought of joseph when he was dealing with Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I do this and sin against God? He was living under a different realm of, of regulations. How can I do this and sin against God? But my mind also went to Moses especially. And I like to read in Hebrews 11 thoughts about Moses. Just as we studied in the Sunday school hour of Ruth, uh, she left her home country for something different. I thought a lot about Moses and 
Man, he just had an amazing, amazing life. The meekest man who ever lived. Hebrews 11, verse 23 through 28. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect on the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And the Passover began under Moses, with Moses. But I, I think about Moses' life and his position, and we think of like the prince of of England right now and how well-known and popular they are. This was a higher place that he had as a prince of Egypt. And and why the Lord worked in the way that he did, he was drawn out of the water by a princess and made, made a prince in Pharaoh's palace. And boy, it seemed like, why didn't the Lord just take that and use that? Moses could have been Pharaoh. He was in line that he could have been Pharaoh very easily. The, the king of Egypt, king of the world. And that could have been a place where he made a decree to, to set the Israelites free and they could have Perhaps, I don't know, used the Nile and, and grew their grain. And Egypt had their trade with Israel. And Israel had their trade with their flocks and their livestock. And there was two big nations that the Lord Lord made. And Moses was right in line to make that happen. He could have made those decrees and, and made it happen. He had the ability, the capability, and the position to do it. And I wonder when he was in the wilderness, if he didn't look back and think, boy, I, I blew it with my anger. The Lord put me there and I, I wasted it. I got mad, I killed an Egyptian, and I was I was sent out. The position I had, I no longer have, and I, I can't do what the Lord wanted me to do, but he was right where the Lord wanted him to be. I mean, think about it. Egypt and Israel could have both been established. They could have given their emancipation, their freedom, and they could have honored Israel's gods, and Israel could have recognized Egypt's gods. See the problem? God wanted to bring one system down, crashing down so that another could be lifted up. He wanted one system destroyed so that he could work with another and show the world what he, his purpose was that would eventually bring us to Christ, the life of Christ. And it is with us. He wants, wants one lifestyle done away with that new can live, that new can be established. And it's a process. It didn't happen overnight. He wouldn't have the plagues if it would have been the way I would see it, that he was Pharaoh and he does everything just a little easier, wouldn't have the plagues, the Red Sea crossing, all these miracles of God. It was harder, but it was the Lord's will. And the Lord was more glorified in the, what he did with Moses' life than just leaving him as Pharaoh and having it happen that way. We find humility in Moses' life. We find brokenness in Moses' life. And those are examples for us to, to see and to follow after. Renewed life, pursuits of the pruned and purged. Allow ourselves to be pruned and purged that we can bear fruit and, and delight in it. And I'd like to just close with John 14, verses 8 through 9. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. The greatest marking even on this cloak of we find in Colossians it it's ends with, with charity, wrapping it all up. 
the outer garment is charity that wraps up all the good fruits that, that we're encouraged to have. And no, no matter the, the length of the dash in our life, as new life of the new babies that we have that are just starting out or whether we've been here a while, the power of Christ is over all. He saves, he lives. Praise him for that. What shall we sing?